Well, good morning. Been a while since I've been up here. Last year. Yeah. Um, April, Tim Knudsen preached. I don't, I don't know. Time flies, though, when you're having fun. Um, you know, we were lifting people up in prayer this morning, and, uh, and as Jody said, we are a family, brothers and sisters. And uh, one of our sisters, Mackenzie, as I was talking to Jen, is also dealing with a significant back issue. They're getting a second opinion. I can't get into all the details because I cannot pronounce the words. But needless to say, at her age, she shouldn't be going through that. And hopefully the second opinion is one of therapy and not one of surgery. So um, she'll be getting that second opinion as I understand it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Doug. Um, when she goes back to UND, which is a medical university, and getting a second opinion for her back. So please keep Mackenzie in prayer. In fact, let's, let's just, uh, I'll open up in prayer. We'll pray for Mackenzie and then we'll get started. Well, Father God, we do come before you and we, Father, exalt thee. Those songs, Father, just speak of what we're going to talk about this morning. And so, Father, as we do come into your house collectively as a body, as a family, we pray, Father, and lift up our sister Mackenzie. Father, there is a complexity of issues going on with her back. And at her age, she shouldn't have to deal with that. But Father God, we count upon you as Christ our healer. And we ask in your precious and holy name, in the power of the Holy Spirit, bring healing to Mackenzie's back. A miracle of healing to her back. So that it will be a lifelong testimony of your goodness and a witness to your love. And so, Father, we're here this morning to hear your word. I thank you for your word, Father. I thank you for its truth. I thank you for its power. And, Father, I thank you that it directs our hearts, our minds, and our souls to do your will. And so, Father, as we explore your word this morning, I just pray your blessing to be upon it. And for all of us to be challenged by it. And I ask this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. If you turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Which I believe is the version that's tucked underneath the chairs. In 1 Thessalonians. Is everybody there? Amen. All right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you that were able to attend the As One service last Sunday, we were blessed to hear the testimony of a man by the name of Ramy Parsa. 
He was a former Shiite Muslim who converted to Christianity in Iran, which that's outlawed there. And if you convert, it's a death sentence. During his sermon, one thing stood out to me and confirmed the need for this message this morning. It was when he was traveling from Turkey from a refugee camp to the U.S., the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, Do not lose your fire. Ramey was confused by that. He was a new Christian. But he realized what the Holy Spirit was saying when he arrived in the U.S. and began attending U.S. churches. Because not all churches and not all Christians were as passionate about holiness as those whom he fellowshiped with in the refugee camp in Turkey. This resonated with me this week. Have we lost our passion for holiness? Am I still passionate about my relationship with Jesus? And do I still have the desire to live a holy life in him? Those are some good questions. I asked myself those before I ask you. After thinking about this for a while and being awakened by God early this morning, which Donna can attest to, and she, uh, she went to the bathroom and looked at, what are you doing up? But uh, God wouldn't let me sleep. He had more for me to hear. And as I prepared this message, I, I had a message prepared on sanctification. And now I was wondering if that was the message to bring. But after reviewing my message and reviewing the Word of God and praying the Word of God, I realized that my sermon is fitting. That our yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification to manifest a life in holiness is the true source and fuel for our passion in Christ. The primary purpose of our faith in Christ while we are here on this earth is not evangelism. That is our commission. The primary purpose of our faith in Christ while we're here on earth is not service to the community or the church. Those are our works of faith. The primary purpose of our faith in Christ while on this earth is not just to inherit an eternal position. That is our eternal reward. The primary purpose of our life in Christ while on this earth is to be separated to the person, life, and characteristics of God in Christ through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit unto holiness. For we can do no other of those works that I mentioned without that. As we look at our flags on the wall here, you'll see that we have Christ our Savior, Christ our Sanctifier, Christ our Healer, and Christ our Coming King. These are the Alliance distinctives for those that are not a part of the Alliance. And it is Christ our Sanctifier that is the catalyst to the continued conformity to Christ and to the perfection of holiness in the life of the believer and is what I want to share with you this morning. I think we need to understand a few things before we get really into it. And the first thing we need to do is we need to define what sanctification means. My wife will say, why do you use $20 words, $40 words, $100 words, right? Well, sanctification is not a $20 word. It's not a $40 word. 
It's not a $100 word. It's a priceless word. And it is not a word that just came out of some academia, some college, or some theology or doctrine. It is found consistently through the entire word of God, from Old to the New Testament. You might have heard it as consecrate. Sanctification, then, is defined as this. This is a lengthy definition, so bear with me. And this is not mine. This is from Vine's Dictionary, so you don't think I'm just making this stuff up. Sanctification is the separation of the believer from evil things and ways and unto God. The sanctification is God's will for the believer and his purpose in calling him by the gospel, your salvation. It must be learned from God as he teaches it by his word. Why we're bringing it up today and we talk about it in Sunday school classes And it must be pursued by the believer earnestly and undeviatingly. For the holy character is not vicarious, meaning it cannot be transferred or just imputed like Christ's righteousness. It is an individual possession built up little by little as the results of obedience to the word of God and the following of the example of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. In essence, sanctification is the process of separating our soul, our spirit, and our body to conform to the holiness of Christ. Now, within sanctification, there are three positions or three realms. Let's discuss those briefly. First one is positional sanctification. How many of you have ever heard positional sanctification? Raise your hand. Okay. Positional sanctification, better take a drink of water here. Positional sanctification is established when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. So why is it called positional? Before we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ in in faith, Our position before God, our our position before the Lord changed from being an enemy of God to a child of God. Before our faith in Jesus Christ, we were sinners, guilty of breaking God's law, and we were separated from Him, ultimately to be judged by that law breaking. But when we believe in Jesus Christ through faith, several things happen that change our position before God. First, we are justified. You'll see that in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I'll get to that a little bit more later. We are fully pardoned of our sin. We find that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit to be forever His, meaning God. That's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. We are adopted into God's family, forever His, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, and brought under God's favor by way of His grace, Romans chapter 5, verse 2. It's important that we understand just a little bit more about that word justification. Again, big word, theological word, but it's important to understand it in relationship to sanctification. Justification is a legal term. 
that in essence describes the acquittal of our sin because Jesus Christ took it upon the cross and propitiated it, meaning he paid for it by his sacrifice. We need the work of justification because prior to our faith in Christ, as I stated earlier, we were lawbreakers in relationship to God's law, and we require judgment. It's no different than if you broke the law here civilly, and you had to go to civil court, and you knew you broke the law, and you are going to go in there and, and plea a guilty plea. You will be submitting yourself to the court for your righteous punishment for breaking a law. But if you believe in Jesus Christ in faith, you have an advocate in that courtroom. And even though you're guilty for breaking the law, he takes the punishment upon himself and then justifies you and presents you faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. That's what justification is, and it lies within the positional sanctification realm. Now, justification deals with our standing and our position before God. Sanctification has to do with our character and conduct before God. Where justification addresses the penalty of sin, sanctification deals with the ongoing dominion and separation from sin. Which leads us to the second realm, or the second position. It's called the experiential Sanctification or progressive sanctification. How many of you ever heard that? Okay. The experiential sanctification, which is hard to say, so I'll just stick with progressive. The progressive sanctification is just that. Experiencing of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life in Christ. The experience of your Christian experience in becoming holy in Christ. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This verse early on in my walk in Christ created doubt because of the use of the word fear. As I interpreted it as a works salvation, meaning I had to do all the right stuff consistently and hopefully all the way through my life to where in the end, God will look upon it with favor. But when I read this verse and I began to understand sanctification, we see that the commandment is to work out that which is already in you from the positional sanctification when you gave your life to Jesus Christ in faith. That's what it means by working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what does that fear really mean then? Well, according to the CMA, it's called the crisis moment. The crisis moment occurs when the believer decisively surrenders himself or herself to God in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body. In other words, within your whole person, you give to the Lord. The reason it's a crisis is because we're selfish. We're self-centered because of sin. And although we are personally, positionally sanctified, we still have a sinful nature that demands our attention. 
This is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Anybody ever experienced that? Although we are positionally sanctified and we are his forever, we will still carry that sinful nature that draws us through temptation and wars against our spirit. It is the greatest conflict within the believer. And the only conflict resolution is to bring about the full conformity of Christ in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a personal example of this. When I was 14 years of age, many of you heard this, so I'm not going to get into all the details. When I was 14 years of age, a man by the name of Joel Hyde at a, at a uh, Piggly Wiggly, I don't even think they have those anymore, but Piggly Wiggly, um, he was a, he was a born-again, on-fire Christian, and he was always in my face with this Lord stuff. And I was from a different faith that I thought I was good to go. In fact, I was baptized twice in the church. I figured I was double-blessed. But in reality, he kept talking to me about the Lord. So one day, I'm walking home, and I'm walking with him, and his house was between our, my house and where I work. And I went into his house, and I gave my life to the Lord. And I knew at that moment that the Lord God came into my life. I knew right then something was different. I knew right then that the Holy Spirit, later as I was understanding, came into my life. And for the first time, I felt true love, true forgiveness, true mercy, true grace. I couldn't explain it to you, but I could tell you what I was feeling. I went home so excited. I went up to my mom and said, Mom, I want to go to the Wesleyan church where all my Christian friends go. And she said, no. And I kept pushing the point. She said, no. And so I would go to school and my friends were like, did you get saved? Yep, I sure did. They seen it. But because I couldn't go to the Wesleyan church, get discipled, which is why I keep pushing discipleship, and of course my own disobedience and not being around like people, I slowly drifted back into who I was. But let me tell you, there was something different. I always felt the pangs of conviction of my sin. Whether drunk or sober, lying in bed at night, staring at the ceiling, the Holy Spirit would convict me of my sin. I couldn't escape it. That's what was really different in my life. He never let go. Fast forward 13 years, age 27. God had been working on me hard for two years. Mike's seen a little bit of that over in Korea. Bought my first Bible over there. First six months, I was partying and having fun. Second six months, I didn't play games. Then at the age of 27, he brought me to my knees. I couldn't take it anymore. I was tired of feeling empty. I was tired of sinning. I was tired of not feeling his full presence in my life. I couldn't explain it, but I felt it. And I cried out and I said, please forgive me. And he did. And I got up and I remember telling Darla, I don't know the, so I'm going to remember it the best I can. I said, I'm going to church. Of course, her reaction was like, 
Which one? <laughs> I don't care. I'm going. And I did. And we've been going ever since. And I've been growing in the Lord ever since. Donna, my sister-in-law, knew me before I was saved. She knew what kind of person I was. Don't share. <laughs> but something different. I went from positional sanctification at age 14 to progressive sanctification at 17. Why it took 13 years? Ask God the Father, my own disobedience. Some of you, right at the point of salvation, went straight into progressive sanctification as if you never missed a beat. The final realm of sanctification is glorification. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I think we all know what that is. It's a day in which we are raised up with Christ, whether dead in the grave or alive, raptured to his presence, forevermore to be with him in eternity in a glorified state. Now, it must be understood that progressive sanctification, which is what we're going to be talking about the most today, is not automatic. It's not on autopilot. It doesn't just happen by way of osmosis. You ever done that when you were a kid? Got a big test? You heard somebody say, well, put the book underneath your pillow and sleep on it, and you'll absorb all that information? I'm here to tell you firsthand it didn't work. Got an F in history. <laughs> it is a work of the Holy Spirit. And yes, the Holy Spirit puts the burden in you for it. He will not leave you alone. Thank God. He puts the burden in you. But it requires a decisive act on your part to want it. It took a decision to give your life to Christ. It takes a decision to bring about the full manifestation of Christ in your life. You have to want it. You have to desire it. You have to have a passion for it. So how do we do this then, Tim? How do we do this progressive sanctification? Where, how, how does this all work? If it takes our commitment and our action and our decision, I got that. So how do we do that? We do that by the necessities of sanctification by the necessities of sanctification. A.B. Simpson in his book, Holy Sanctified, identified three necessities of sanctification, and they are separation, dedication, and finally, filling. Let's look at the first one. Separation. As stated earlier, sanctification means to separate, to separate you. Upon belief in Jesus Christ, we were separated unto God, deemed holy. It was a divine work, and it was complete. Within progressive sanctification, we are now to separate ourselves in three key areas. The world, our sin, and our will. In 1 John 2.15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. How many of you are familiar with that verse? Often quoted. In order to understand what John is saying in this verse, we need to understand the definition of two very important words, love and world. First, let's take a look at love. Love is, has several meanings as we know in the Greek, so it's important that we understand which one John's using. The word love used by John means to take pleasure in the thing. Prize it above all things. 
be unwilling to abandon it or do without it. This definition paints a very strong picture of an attachment to material objects, materialism. But to further understand it, let's look at the word world. Now the word John uses for world is defined as the aggregate of things, earthly. The whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, which although hollow and frail and fleeting, they stir desire and seduce us from God and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. That's a pretty powerful definition for the world. Now, when we combine the definitions of love and the world, we see a very clear picture of what John is describing in that the connection between love and world is one of materialistic idolatry. Meaning the world and all of its offerings is the true object of your worship. Your security is in the world, not in the Lord. Your, your riches are in the world, not in Christ. The question then becomes, do we love the world more than we love Christ? Do we value what the world has more than what the Lord provides? Is there something in this world you cannot walk away from if God led you to do it? Those are tough questions. But questions we must ask the Holy Spirit to reveal. Because if there is anything that stands as an obstacle to holiness, we need to separate ourselves from it. We need to separate ourselves from it. Secondly, we need to separate ourselves from sin. When we believed upon Jesus Christ in faith, all of our sins were forgiven as Jesus paid for every single one of them on the cross. Because he was perfect. He was flawless. He was the holy sacrifice. And he did it once and for all. We are now dead in sin and we no longer are its slave. We no longer have to obey its desires as the chains of bondage have been removed by the work of Christ. We should no longer desire it. We should no longer crave it. We should no longer walk in it. We should no longer enjoy it. Let's be honest. Some sins are pretty darn fun. But they're not for us. Repentance is not only a turning away, but a 180 degree change towards holiness. It's just not simply asking for forgiveness, it's changing through a decisive act and relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. Ephesians 4.22 says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Sin corrupts, sin destroys Sin divides. Sin adversely affects our relationships to and include our relationship with the Father. It is a cancer towards faith and an offense to God. There is no room for sin in your spirit, in your soul, or in your body. And if we allow the sanctifying work to occur in our lives, the Holy Spirit will root it out, sometimes very painfully, but necessarily, but necessary. 
to the betterment of you as a believer and a child of God. How do we root it out? How do we root out this sin? By yielding fully to the Holy Spirit and praying to Him to reveal it in us the moment we sin or those sins that we don't even realize we commit. If you pray unto the Holy Spirit, Lord, reveal my sin and unrighteousness. He will. And then immediately repent of them and walk in holiness. Yield to sanctification. We're also to separate ourselves from our will. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a very familiar verse. One we should memorize. One we should write on our hearts. You no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Amen. Amen. Because we are believers in Christ through faith, it is now his will we follow, not our own. Now, in a world of rugged individualism, self-determination, and relativism, which is to say we determine ourselves what is good and what is good for us, this verse and its implications of giving up one's own will and way is not well received at times. However, when we realize that God's will is perfect and facilitated by his sovereignty, it brings me great joy and hope knowing that he has this. Let me tell you something. The first 27 years of my life, although I was a decent citizen, a husband, a father of two children, pretty okay guy, after my conversion and relying upon the will of God, I'd rather have the will of God than my own will because I was heading to destruction in my will. His will bring me eternal salvation. His will is perfect. He knows exactly what you need to be doing. And when we are in line with God's will, you will receive such a inner peace that surpasses all understanding. Because you're aligned with the Father. The second necessity in the progression of sanctification, the first one is to separate. Separate ourselves from the world, separate ourselves from sin, separate ourselves from our will. Now, when we separate ourselves from those things, we need to dedicate ourselves to something. If all of our faith is following rules and abstaining from that which is sin, it's nothing more than a religion and a human endeavor with no life and no hope. Do you guys remember what Rami was talking about when he was following Islam and he would beat himself and he was always trying to do the right thing, but it didn't really matter because you didn't know if it was Allah's will? He never had the assurance. He just kept beating sin out of him. He never had an intimate connection with the Father. He was distant, and he was a judgmental God. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that your present bodies be a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
Our Christian experience and the freedom we have in Christ is not about us. It's all about Him. Our Christian experience is for His glory through the conformity of Christ and perfected in holiness in our life. It is not self-centered. It's God-centered. It is not about you. It's about Him. It is His will that will be done, not ours, because ours is not our own. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it says that you are purchased at a price, and that price was the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Your will is now His will. And His will is good, perfect, right, just, merciful, and grace, full of grace. Dedication does not just mean an act of obedience to the Lord, like Remy was talking about. It seemed like just a suffering. He was obedient because he had to be. There was no intimacy. There was nothing there other than just obedience and beating myself into submission. Our relationship with God is dedicated and predicated on love. On love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that we are to love him with all of our heart. It is a dedicated relationship built on the perfect agape love. And it is very intimate. We dedicate ourselves to God because we love God. And he loves us. Remember, he first taught us how to love so that we can love him and others in an agape way, in a godly way. Look at it this way. For those of you that have girlfriends, boyfriends, or you've been married, you're newlyweds, or you've been married for many years, why do you do things for your girlfriend, your boyfriend, or your spouse? Is it because you have to? Or is it because of love? Now, granted, there are some honeydew lists that I look at, and I question if Darla loves me, but I know she does. She does things for me because she loves me. I do things for her because I love her. We have intimacy. We need to have intimacy with God the Father. We do it because we love Him, not because we have to, because we get to. That's what our dedication is predicated on. Again, as with separation and dedication, it's also a voluntary act for Him. A.B. Simpson wrote concerning this when he said, It is a voluntary surrender of self-offering of the heart by the constraint of love to the Lord's. The final necessity in progressive sanctification is to be filled. Is to be filled. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. A.B. Simpson once said this, Being filled with the Holy Spirit is the secret of holiness. And there is a measure of the Holy Spirit in every regenerated soul. 
But it is when every part of our being is filled with his love and possessed for his glory are we then wholly sanctified. Therefore, holy living then results from the control and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. I think he nailed it. And if you guys have never read the book, Holy Sanctified by A.B. Simpson, I encourage you to read it. I know it's in the library. Now, taking into account what A.B. Simpson said, let's examine deeper what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Again, when we first believe in Jesus Christ, we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. We've seen that in Ephesians 1.13. This is called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit means just that. It means the Spirit now resides in you. However, that does not mean you are completely filled, meaning controlled or governed by the Holy Spirit. As being sealed with the Holy Spirit resides in your positional sanctification, being filled, meaning controlled or governed, lies within your progressive sanctification when we willfully yield our full life to the influence and control of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an analogy. In fact, I'll use A.B. Simpson's analogy. He describes a western state in the United States, an arid state, Arizona, New Mexico. And you look upon a valley, and it's sparsely vegetated with greenery. I mean, there's a bush here, there's a bush there. So you know there's a source of water at those locations. Now go to that source of water and spread it throughout the valley and irrigate it. Now you see a lush valley growing with greenery and fruits and, and, and produce. That's what it means in progressive sanctification to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through your spirit, your soul, and your body. It is to disperse the Holy Spirit into every facet of who you are. If we desire to allow the flow of the Holy Spirit to water every dry area of our spirit, soul, and body, it takes the yielding. It takes us to yield to the Holy Spirit to do it. And we should desire it. So the necessities of sanctification are clear. We are to separate from the world, dedicate ourselves to God, and be filled completely by the Holy Spirit. So now you might ask, what's the importance of this if it hasn't already been answered? First, we preach and teach sanctification to increase knowledge and understanding, not only on what God provides and does by way of his Holy Spirit, but our obligation to it as well. Hebrews 6.1 says, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and let us go on to maturity. Sometimes we need to be challenged to assess our relationship with Christ and if we're still passionate for him and be reminded of how much our sanctification lies within our surrendering and our yielding and our desire for it as it is not automatic. Secondly, and the most important reason, why this is important is holiness. That song, the second song, I think it was, Holy, Holy, Holy. Mike sent me those songs on a text, and I tried to open them. I, could, I don't know what we were going to sing. 
But how appropriate. The most important reason is holiness. Listen to what Peter said. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. Holiness is the standard. And the Holy Spirit within us cries out for it and desires it for the believer. If we fail to respond, we may find ourselves in situations where we're unfaithful to God that may lead to unfaithfulness to others. Carnality, as Paul addressed in the church of Corinth, as being immature and only able to take milk. Powerlessness, Continue to find oneself in the midst of failure against the lightest of sins. No victory. A lack of deep-seated peace that can only come from the full conformity to Christ. A lack of desire for godly righteousness. And a life of compromise and complacency. That was Tim at age 27. But what we receive... When we strive for holiness through the sanctifying work of Christ is the opposite of every single one of those things that I identified. You have purpose. You have peace. You have a filling, no voids. You have power over sin and unrighteousness. And you become mature in Christ, desiring more than just milk. At the beginning of this message, I asked you if you had lost your passion for holiness. I asked myself that question. As this message challenged me, I hope it challenges you. Our Christian experience on this earth is not just to exist until the day of Christ Jesus. Our purpose and our passion needs to be the desire and to strive for holiness in our life. And we achieve this by yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification. Let's pray. Father God, we covered a lot. A lot of detail, a lot of theology, a lot of doctrine. But Father God, I know as I experienced it, that those that are here that believe in you in faith, understand exactly what you're doing. This is just a confirmation in your word as to what we need to be doing. And so, Father, I just pray for each and every person here this morning that we desire holiness in our life, a passion that never goes out. And that, Father, we would yield to the Holy Spirit and be filled with your Holy Spirit for your work, for your pleasure, for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.